Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. As a parent, there are two things that are absolutely essential for me to um, bring the correct uh, emphasis to my kids' lives. Make sure they get where they need to go. Uh, one of those things is love, and I need to exude that with every turn, at every moment, every opportunity. The other thing I have to be able to do is uh, uh, make them aware and sometimes enforce uh, consequence for actions that could dis- destroy their lives. Not fun. Not pleasant, not easy. I love the love part. I despise the discipline correction part. Anybody with me on that? If you enjoy the correction process and discipline process as a parent, we probably need to pray for you um, before you leave today. Um, I don't enjoy the process itself. I enjoy the, the, the results, the outcome of that, that I look coming down the road, that I hate the process. Um, like that, our father... Um, has to do the same thing. He makes us absolutely aware that he loves us desperately and deeply. The Bible would tell us that, 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 that here in his love, not that we, that, that we came to God, but that God came to us in the form of his son, Jesus, right? Showed his love to us while we were enemies, while we were yet sinners. Dude, the love of God is not something that's in question. If you've come this morning, if you questioned the love of God, it's probably because you've questioned the lifestyle of a person who follows God, would be my guess. Or you've questioned some difficulty and some frustration and some things of life. And, and can I assure you something? That, that God works in such a way that he sends, sets things in motion. He doesn't apologize for them. He sets them in motion and allows them to play out because he wants his word and his truth to rule the day. Okay, And so he set things in motion years and years and years and years and years ago for however long that he would instill, he would give man the responsibility of watching over his creation. And man chose to not live according to the way God wanted him to. People called Adam and Eve, we can blame them all day long, but all of us have a hand in that because we have the incapacity. Is that the right word? I don't even know if that's a word. That sounds stupid. We have, the, we have the amazing capability to not live the way God wants us to. And so we all have a hand in that. And because those things were set in motion, that brought corruption into this planet, which set a cycle in motion, which the, Jesus would say, and, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would say, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all have to deal with difficulty. And so if you're blaming God for difficulty, you're blaming the wrong person. Okay, his love for you is solidified. His love was set set in in, in motion from the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, and we saw the fruition of it in 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 the, in the Gospels as Jesus hangs on a cross and says, "I love you not this much. I love you this much." And so that's not in question. But the part, other part of the equation is God set those consequences in motion for, for depravity. He set those consequences in motion for, for self-centeredness. He, saw, he set consequences in motion that, that cause us to have to toe a certain line. And so 
he, being a good father, uh, allows those things. that He intends for us to grow, okay? And he intends for us to mature in our love for him and in our love for other people. And here's the thing. If, if, if there are no consequences to our actions, we just go our merry way. I know you guys have been in Walmart with that parent who's got Johnny. Johnny, if you do one more thing, and you hear them say that thing 25 times, and Johnny keeps getting worse with every breath. I remember Bill Cosby talking about that, being on a, being on a plane ride. What was that little fellow's name? Huh? Jeffrey. Jeffrey. How could I forget Jeffrey? <laughs> Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey. And how he talked about how, how all the people on the plane, after they got to where they were going, took great care and concern because Jeffrey had finally fallen asleep on the red eye and they poked at Jeffrey as they got off the plane. Because Jeffrey had just, just ruined the whole flight. The whole, and mom couldn't keep him under control. And everything. <laughs> remember that? You guys remember that? Dude, I love that bit. And uh, Jeffrey, you know, sometimes, you know, if we don't, if, if, there, if there are not certain um, consequences to our decisions, we stay on the path of destroying our lives and, instro- and honestly destroying the lives of other people. That's just the way it goes. Am I right? So I have something to say today. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be popular. But it's the Bible. And uh, we're going we're to truck through it. We've been talking for several weeks about simplify to simplify. We've read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's kind of the, the, the central piece of our focus. And it, talks, it says this. Let us lay aside the weight. We've been talking about that for several weeks. Laying aside the weight of, of schedule and time and, 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 and heavy things of, of life and how we do things and, and, and different stuff and unloading that. But today we're going to camp out on the next phrase in Hebrews chapter 12 and sin that easily besets us. Teenagers, I would apologize because I, I had every intention of, of, of dealing with this last week and God interrupted our schedule. And we got kind of like a standalone message from Romans 5 last week, kind of by God's design, not by mine. But I don't really apologize. Because in our world, you get the, the, the idea that everything's just relative. But there is no real right or wrong. It's just whatever you think. There is no clear path. There is only uh, what, what, what you might feel in your heart. And God makes it pretty clear there, is, there are certain things that he expects of us. And I know that's not popular. And I know, you know, some people will be like, well, I'm leaving right now. Well, you're probably already checking out. Don't check out. Okay. This is the scripture. This is the, this is the word that will stand the test of time, okay? It will stand when every other fad, every other philosophy, every other thing will come and go, and this will stand. Moral relativism will go. This will stand. Are you hearing me? And so we're going to dig in. I want to say something. We must simplify our lives, making our relationship with him the utmost thing, not despising him, not despising his grace, not despising his message by how we live or by how we walk or work. And he intends for us to live. We, we cannot work to earn his grace. I mean, when I use the word work, some of you are already like, yeah, you got it, and you already pulled out your list. 
Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about walking with Jesus. Allowing his grace not only to keep us from willy-nilly, greasy, gracie stuff and, 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 and walking with Jesus at such a point that we don't cross the line over into just mere religion and we keep, we keep it on a relationship because he'll deal with both those things here, talking about sin in just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 would read like this. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now, that's just a mouthful. I don't care who you are. That's a mouthful. He starts in this context, though. He says these words, dear friends. He's about to offer a warning He's about to offer an admonition. He's about to give an exhortation. He's about to venture down a path that he knows is not going to be be able to be digested very well. And he starts by banking on the fact that they are in close proximity to one another. These things are best received from a person who knows us well and loves us much. This morning as I talk, I want you to understand something. I, I, I don't know every one of you all that well, but I want to say something to you. The love of God penetrates my heart, and I say what I have to say right here, right now, on purpose, because I do love you. And I pray that you will receive it as such. We spent two weeks ago, we talked about Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And in those places, he tells us to hang on to the faith, our profession of faith. He tells us the main vehicle by which we're able to hang on is by not forsaking our assembling together, but doing it even more as we see the day of Jesus approaching, that we might do a couple things. Provoke one another to love and to do good things, right things in the sight, in the heart of God. Are you hearing me? And so he starts this next piece of the journey by saying, listen, dear friends, those of us who've been congregating together, those of us who've been been rallying around the cross, those of us who've been trying to figure out how life works, those of us who've prayed for one another, those of us who've worked together, those of us who have served together, those of us who've, who've grabbed a hold of the grace and the power of Christ together, running this race, living this life, walking this walk, those, you guys, listen to me, that's what he's saying, dear friends. He's not talking to just anybody and everybody. He's talking to people he has intimate encounters with. Listen, can I tell you something? Again, I've said this for months, maybe years at this point. I don't know. I didn't keep track of the first time we ever talked about it. But can I tell you something? Ministry and and, and discipleship and, and growth in the kingdom happens better not in this setup right here. It happens better in a circle where I can look somebody in the face where I can see somebody, I can see their their passion, I can ask questions, I can let people know what I'm struggling with, and they can let me know what they're struggling with, and we can pray and seek the scriptures together. And so listen, if you need to find that kind of environment, if you're going to make it, you need somebody who will get in your grill sometimes and say, listen, you are are sliding off the path. Dear friends, I don't know if you can hear the passion of the writer of Hebrews. He's saying, listen, you are my friends. I'm about to say what I have to say because you matter to me. And I know it's not going to be easy for you to swallow. And I know it's not going to be easy for you to digest. And I know some of you are going to walk away from reading this letter that I've written and, and be mad and be agitated and think I'm picking on you. But listen to me. I'm not picking on you. He's saying, I love you. You are my friends. 
God would say this. He would say, listen, you are my family. I will deal with things that need dealt with because I love you. Jesus would look at disciples and say, listen, I unveil to you everything. Why? Because you're my friends. Uh, A master doesn't share his heart with his servants, but a friend shares his heart with his friends. And he goes, listen, you are my friends. And we sing songs like, uh, you know, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of, and that's all good until God wants to call us on something. Long as God's blessing and things are good, hallelujah, right? But then we got to deal with something. I'm not so sure God's my friend anymore, right? Dear friends, he says. Dear friends. Dear friends, in relationship, I'm calling out to you, he says. Deep relationship is absolutely essential for the Christian life. It is absolutely essential. The problem with a lot of our churchianity is it's just this. It's just row after row, person after person, gathering in one place on a Sunday morning, and there's no, not, not, not much of any other community attached to our lives. A friend who really loves you loves you in spite of yourself, but a friend who really loves you also will say this, listen, dude, God has better for you. And you are sliding off the path. You are missing the whole thing. You are in danger of sliding off the course completely. Your family is in danger. Your testimony of Christ is in danger. You, your, your children could be in danger because you are portraying an example, a model that does not line up with the person of Christ. A friend will say that. The next part of this thing is that he's talking about dear friends. He talks about another thing. He talks about deliberate decisions. And deliberate decisions have determined consequences. When I purposely do things, when I choose not to listen to what God says, or when I choose to listen to, not, to, to, to what God wants, when I choose to do my own thing, there are, there are already determined consequences set in order for that. Galatians chapter 6 would say these words, be not deceived, God is not mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap. If you sow from your flesh corruption, you will up from your flesh reap corruption. If you sow from the spirit life, you will from the spirit reap life. In due season, if you lose heart, if you do not lose heart, you will reap a harvest. He's talking about doing good things. The same thing is true in due season. If you sow stuff, there's going to become a, a thing that's going to happen, a consequence that's going to happen. And they're, they're not fun and they're not easy things to contend with. Deliberate, deliberate decisions have determined consequences. The word deliberately there is a Greek word, and I won't even pronounce it. I won't say it. Because you don't care anyway, do you? I'll probably botch it up anyway. Willingly. Of one's own volition, purposely, intentionally. That's the idea behind that word deliberately. The word sinning means to do wrong or to act or intend contrarily to the will and law of God. Okay? Now, he's talking about how we conduct our lives. Okay? Deliberate decisions have determined consequences. The Bible says here, if we would continue in that, 
There's, there, there's judgment. There's consequence ahead. Do you, do you catch that? There, 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 and really, he says that that's all there's ahead. There's no, longer any sacrifice, there's no longer any sacrifice to cover that. Those are scary words, aren't they? Now, I want to say something else. This is beyond just instant sin. Okay? None of us are perfect. None of us can get it all right all the time, 100%. None of, none of us, okay? None of us can, 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 can toe the line all the way, all the time. I can't do it. You can't do it. So I'm not talking about, you know, you, you, know, you, you were out working on something in the yard, had your hammer out, smashed your thumb, something came out of your mouth. You didn't really want to say it, just kind of came out. And all of a sudden, oh, no. Ah! Right? Can I say something to you? God's grace is bigger than that. What he's talking about here is a lifestyle of intentionally not following the will of God. What he's talking about here is waking up every day and knowing God has certain things laid out for you and you continue to not live that way. You continue to make decisions that you know fly in his face. You continue to to, to do things or not do things that that, that he wants you to do. The Bible says that if we, there's a, we'll get into this in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting excited. He, it is a lifestyle thing. It, 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 is, it is how I live. It, 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 is, it is the trajectory. Let's say it this way. It's the trajectory my life is on. Do you get that? It's not that momentary stumble in the middle of the path. It's that, that thing where God's direction is this way, and I just deviate even a little bit from that. God got, wants me to go at a 15-degree angle, and I choose 17. I'm kind of on it, but I'm not really. You get me? And so the, 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 one, tra- one, one, one definition of the word sin means to miss the mark, okay? Here's one thing we, we know, that Jesus is the king. He's the Lord of lords, right? The Bible would tell us that God knew us from the beginning. He wove us together in our mother's womb to be a certain way, to live, to be a certain person, to have certain talents. And he not only did he know that, he had a certain destiny for us that's, that's out there. Okay? Now here's the thing. That's the mark. If he's got me set at a 15 degree angle on that trajectory to hit that mark and I deviate one degree... By the time I travel the same distance, that mark is here. My life is there. That's sin. Are you hearing me? Ooh. Now, some of us, we just kind of go like, like God says this, and we just kind of go, I'm just not doing that. And then we're not only 15. We're not just 16 degrees. We're like at, you know, 75. And the further away we get, the further from the mark we are. And so that's what he's talking about. Now, one, one, the, Jameson Foster Brown read like this. They're, they're the warning was if they're, listen to this line. You want, you want, to, know, you, you want to know what the, what the dividing line is of how you missed the mark like that? Listen to these words. There the warning was that if there, I love the way they read this. If there be not diligence in progressing. If there be not diligence in progressing. A falling off will take place. And apostasy may ensue. 
Here it is that if there be lukewarmness in Christian communion, apostasy may ensue. If there's not diligence in me progressing and growing as a follower of Christ, if I am not deepening my relationship with him and deepening my relationship with, with, with other followers, that, that there's this real risk that apostasy may ensue. The way we get off the mark is that we, 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 we cease to progress. We cease to, 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 to avidly follow Christ. They also say here that if we be found sinning, they say this is not isolated acts, but it is a state of sin, a state of missing the mark. You know why people tell me all the time, I can, you know, I can be a Christian and I don't have to go to church. People, I, I, I don't, if, I had, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I would be a rich man. Dude, I'd have me a brand new car or something. You know what I mean? You know why you can't? Because this, this is the apparatus. This gathering of the saints is the apparatus God instilled in his divine wisdom to ensure there was progression in your growth. That it, you, you cannot just willy-nilly live life and, and, and think you can devoid yourself of spiritual instruction and spiritual accountability and spiritual uh, 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 ignition. I don't know what the word is. The, 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 the inspiration. And, and think you're going to keep progressing in your walk with Christ. It isn't going to happen. And so he says, listen, in context, he's talking about gathering together with the saints as you see the David just approaching. And then he offers the warning and he's saying, listen, this is the way I keep you progressing. I want you to grow in love for God and for others. And the way you do that is this. You stay connected to me and to him and you keep progressing. Some of you right now are stagnant and you know it. You haven't picked up the scripture to, to read it on your own, maybe in weeks, maybe in months. And you're not connected enough to another person in the body of Christ for anybody else to even notice. You haven't prayed maybe a lick all week long. And you wonder why there's this staleness, this lack of freshness in your life. This, this, this arena here is fine, but this arena here is only, only the thing that should add oomph to you getting really locked into the body of Christ. It should only give the, 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 the encouragement, the strength, the direction for you to find out how to plug into the body of Christ. This is not the, this is not the only thing in being plugged into the body of Christ that's showing up on Sunday morning. And so you have to choose, you, you, what you choose matters. Let's read on in Hebrews 10, 27. These words. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God. And have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. Verse 31, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? 
What you choose matters. Okay? What you, what you choose makes a difference. When we choose lifelessness, we're choosing against him. The Bible says there's already judgment for that. To be condemned, to fall, that word means to be fall under, under, uh, formally to fall under judgment. Here's the thing. We, we choose lifelessness in, in all sorts of ways. When I make a decision and it brings, it brings death to my relationships, I'm choosing against Christ. When I choose things that bring death to my ability to give, I'm choosing against him. When I choose things that, 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 bring, that, 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 that cause the, the witness of Christ to be tainted in the world, I'm choosing lifelessness. I am choosing death. Again, we're not talking about just an instantaneous, oops, I slipped up kind of moment. I'm talking about constantly choosing things that fly in the face of the gospel, of the grace, of the word of God, of the plan of God for my life. When I constantly choose those things, I am, I, I am creating a space where there's, there's, there, there's only certain things ahead that are not fun to talk about. In the body of Christ today, we, we have found ourselves very devoid of this balance of the character of God. God is love. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. But the Bible also says this same Jesus who died up on a cross for the salvation of, of all mankind and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Says one day he will get up on a white horse. The Bible says there will be flames of fire in his eyes. The Bible says he has a name written on his thigh that says he's the true and faithful one. And he will come to do business. He will come back as the reigning king. And all those who have chosen not to walk with him, he will contend with. Okay? That is part of the gospel. That is part of, 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 of the, the entirety of this word. I can't pick and choose the pieces I like and really dwell on them and take the ones I don't like and go, you know what, I really want to deal with that. Don't really want to talk about that. It, it, is, it is the truth. And for me, as a pastor, I, don't, I do you no good in helping you grow by avoiding things and topics like that. I, 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 do, I do you no help in growing. I am like, I'm like the mom in the Walmart. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do that. And if there's never any consequence and never any exposing, you know what happens? You, your life becomes more and more of a wreck and more and more of a testimony of being spoiled and more and more of a testimony of, of, of chaos, more and more of a testimony of, 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 of things just destroy and things get broken and, and, things like, and everybody around you gets frustrated and, and angry. That, that, that's what happens. And so we got to contend with this. Teenagers, I want to say something to you. Listen to me. It is not okay. It is not okay to just give in to everything everybody else has got going on. There is certain consequence. And I say that as your pastor on purpose. Because you know what? I want you to be everything God saw you being from the beginning of time. Don't give in on the high school campus to all the garbage. Don't hold back. Don't give in on the college campus. Don't give up on the street. Don't give up on whatever team you play on. Don't let them mold and shape your heart. Let the word and the power of Christ shape your heart and your life and your direction. I mean it. And, 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 and you're here on purpose by the heart of God. We're going to have another fun subject this week, and we're going to do that probably next week. We're talking about suffering. How, all right. 
Aaron's hitting, he's hitting him out of the park right now, isn't he? Well, for whatever reason, God put it in his book that way. And so he goes from accountability to sin to suffering. I don't get it, but it's in there. So that's how we're going to deal with it, okay? And so here we are. Now, this can be gross sin. The first part of, of, that, of, that, of that thing is this. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, the law of Moses is this. It's a sad, it's the, it is the, the standard by which life is to be lived, Okay, it, it, it is the thing that lets us know we are away from God. It can be this idea of being out of sorts and missing the mark has to do with certain things that are, that are unbecoming of somebody who's in covenant with God. Okay, I, 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 can, I can be all, I can reject the spirit of grace, the message of the gospel and the person of Christ and I can face certain if I don't, if I willingly do things that I know God says don't do. Are you hearing me? There is, there is this idea in the body of Christ that, 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 that we could just do whatever we want. We can just live any certain way. It's not in there, man. Listen, I want to tell you what, what Peter, Peter was the one who walked closest to Jesus of the, anybody on the planet. And in 2 Peter, he writes this, he writes these words. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And when people escape the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. Another one says, a washed pig returns to the mud. See, if Jesus comes into our lives, he intends for us never, never to go back to a place where we, we give in to things we used to give in to. Paul would say it this way, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. There, there, is, this, there, there is this separation between us and our old ways of doing things. And we can't willingly walk back into them. We can't just, 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 just treat, well, I would call this liberalism. You can't live willy-nilly. Just can't. You, you, you can't live a lifestyle that, 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 your lifestyle should echo the worship of God. That's not about singing music and raising hands in church. The word worship literally means to lay down your life before one who's greater than you, face down, saying that he is Lord and he is king and you will do whatever he asks you to do. Or commands. That has everything to do with how we live more so than how we, we sing or how, may, how loud we clap or how loud we hoot and holler and how much we cry in the middle of a Sunday morning. It has everything to do with the, 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 the testimony of our lives giving glory to God. Are you hearing me? You can't, you can't, you can't do that. Loving, again, this is about loving Him above all else. Loving Him above everything Loving others so he will be honored and they will be drawn to grow in love for him. Okay? That's what this is about. You can't be willy-nilly. I'd go through the list, but you guys can go find Exodus 20. That's a good place to start. Okay? Find out what God says you should, you should not be participating in. Okay? And, 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 and don't cross over. Now, again, don't, it's, this is not about a matter of getting it right 100% of the time. It's a matter of the condition of my heart being drawn to God so he can keep working that stuff out of me. Okay? That, that, that is what it's about. It's about love is the thing. It's not a thing about the gospel. It is the thing. 
God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and the Sadducees who are trying to get people to follow a certain line. He says, here's the biggest command. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, all your strength. Was a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Derek read a minute ago. And he says, love others as you love yourself. This is the great, all, everything else in the law swings on that hinge. So I'm not asking you just to, 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 to blindly and like a zombie adhere to some, do, do, do. This is what I do with my life. And I don't do that. And I do do this. And, this, and you're, you're just, you're not, you're, you're not the crazy dude to work for the wicked witch. And, oh, oh, you know, in World of Wizard of Oz, you, you, you're supposed to have passion and love for God and, and him and for people who are made in his image. And that's supposed to dictate to you everything that you do. Now, the other flip side of the equation is going to clear the other side of the road because he just talked about gross sin and, and, and just not choosing not to, to do what God says to, to do. Then we can cross the line into just grotesque religiosity. He talks here about this piece. Let me see where it's at. He talks about the law of Moses. Then he goes, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God. Treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. See, there's the other side of the equation. There's this, there's this legalism thing we can cross over into. The body of Christ has such a hard time staying in the middle of the road. For a hard time. We won't get over here willy-nilly, grace, God, love. And then there's others of us who will just get out and, and, and we'll grab a Bible and we'll just try and beat people, beat the trash out of people with it. You know, and there's no, you know, there's the extreme version of that is Westboro Baptist Church. But it, it, it fluctuates in varying degrees around all sorts of parts of the body of Christ. And we try and be religious to, 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 to look a certain way but we're not living up to the, the grace and the power of God the way he wants us to. Sin plainly means to miss the mark. The mark is whatever he has spoken in his word that conveys his character and his heart. Legalism forces us to miss God's mark and character and heart, and it forces us to do certain things at the expense of other things. He was constantly having these battles with the Pharisees about where they washed or they, whether they didn't wash. He was constantly having these battles with what they did tithe and how they did. And, and he's like, listen, you've, you are so ate up with what people should and shouldn't do. You can't even understand the heart behind why God even said that in the first place. And so we've got to walk the battle of not crossing over into to, to gross sin. And we've got to try not to cross over here into grotesque religiosity either. We've got to find the place in the middle of the road where we join the two together. The love can be the hallmark. Love for God. If I love someone, I choose not to do things that displease them on purpose. I love my wife. You know what that means? I stay away from certain things on purpose. And nobody has to give me a list to tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. Don't have to do that. You know why? Because I love her. But it's not like, oh, I gotta go home to the old battle axe. You know what happens? If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I guess I gotta, you know, you just, uh, you, guys, you guys look at me if that's how I live and you go, dude, you're an absolute nutcase. Why don't you just go ahead and get divorced anyway? There's no love there. That's craziness. Wouldn't you think that? But that's how we live out our Christianity with the one who died and saved us. 
The one who's supposed to be, we're supposed to be his bride. Anyhow, the word trample means to reject, which, is, which is, it seems simple. But the next phrase in the definition kind of grabs me. To not rely on. When I don't rely on Jesus' sacrifice to keep me right with God, and I rely on my own merit and my own ability to stay holy, then I've rejected, I've trampled the Son of God underfoot. Set aside. There may be an overlap of these verses, he says. It talks about an annulment, a setting aside of regulation and removal, doing away with certain things. And so we've missed the heart of God, and we concentrate on things that don't matter. Religiosity is that thing that keeps us in rote routine and keeps from the living message of grace. Walking in that spirit, devaluing the message of the gospel, and walking in religion rather than a person, and hindering others either by religiosity or being stuck in religion that keeps us from reaching toward them. Now, where's the New Testament? This has a real quick phrase to describe this piece of scripture, this, this, this passage. It says this The willful sin is the abandonment of Christianity for Judaism. This was the ongoing conflict of the New Testament. Suddenly, Gentiles come to faith in Christ. Everywhere Paul went, he had this battle with people who wanted to confine people and not allow them to walk in the liberty God had granted to them through the person of Christ. It got so big of a deal that they called counsel together. Paul and Peter uh, kind of go to, 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 to word-like blows in the middle of a, of a conversation, Paul has to call Peter on something, and, and the, the head, the, the apostles, and the elders come together, and they, they say these words, we don't want to put any undue weight upon you as Gentiles. So we only ask three things of you in keeping with pure, holy lives. We're going to ask you not to eat food, sacrifice to idols, not drink blood, and stay sexually pure. You know why that was with the three things? Because those three things have everything to do with covenant. Who and how we worship and who and how we love. And our families are supposed to be the epitome of what, what, what the body of Christ is to look like. And so they, they said, these are the only three things we're going to ask of you as Gentile believers. Don't worship other things and keep your lives pure. Keep your heart pure in the most intimate of personal relationships and let that flow out to every other part of your life. And see, we keep trying to add stuff for people. Well, they got to do this and they got to do that. We gotta do and we get a bunch of robots who can do certain things, but the love of God just tends to not to circulate in that. You hear what I'm saying? Galatians is all about that. Judaizers would show up and try and get people to do certain things. And he'd say, why are you entangled to give up the yoke of slavery? You've been set free from that. Now love God. He would say these things. You know what? The only thing that matters is faith that works by love. That's what Paul said. He was a Pharisee, dude. He, was trying, he, he, he cut his teeth in the, in, in, in the work of God by holding people to certain standards. He's like, dude, ch -ch -ch chill. I said, I don't, that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Matthew 12. I talked about, about this. So I tell you, verse 31. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. 
Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can't be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Now, to kind of understand what he's talking about there, we have to understand why the Holy Spirit was given in the first place. And you find those words in John 16. Jesus says these words. And when, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin. So the first thing the Holy Spirit comes to do is to convict the world of sin. Their separation from God, okay? And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus lays it out here. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment will become because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit to the writer of Hebrews says this. It was the Holy Spirit that gave us access to God's mercy. Okay? And he says if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do, we have condemned ourselves already. If I choose not to acknowledge sin, there is no, there is no covering of my sin. Okay? So I cannot be forgiven. I, I, when I don't recognize that I am separated from God by sin, I cannot cross over into the kingdom without acknowledging that. The Bible would call that confession. Romans 10. Are you hearing me? The other part of this is righteousness. The Holy Spirit comes to let me know what real righteousness looks like. And righteousness and being right with God has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with Christ. And the reason I'm right with God is because Jesus washed me clean by his blood and invites me into a relationship that comes in and cleans up my insides. When my insides get cleaned up, all of a sudden, because I am right with God, I live a different life. I'm not trying to live from the outside in. I'm trying to live from the inside out. Are you hearing that? And if I choose, if I choose not to allow righteous, the righteousness that I live in to be that which Christ imputed into me, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, that not only do I have to keep the pieces of the law that I like, I have to keep the piece of the law that I don't like. And he goes, no man can do that. And the other thing the Holy Spirit came to do was to, 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 to convict the world of judgment. That one day Jesus is coming and his reward is with him, the Bible would say. And for those who have, been, have embraced that righteousness of God, there is a reward that we just sung about up there on the screen. And, and, and we'll talk about that next week too, actually. It's, it's a part of the, this idea of suffering. We'll talk about it. No, that's, that's not next week. That's the following week, I think. Anyway, here's the deal. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. Anytime I say that I refuse to acknowledge my sin, I'm not allowing him to work in my life. Anytime I say that the grace of God is not enough and it's things I have to do to make me right with God, I'm coming against him. Anytime I don't acknowledge that one day he will judge the world, I'm coming against the Holy Spirit. You get that? Do you guys understand that? If that's what the Holy Spirit came to do, and I refuse to listen to that voice, and I say it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal, I am not allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work. Therefore, there is not a place for me to receive mercy. Do you get that? Are you understanding that? Okay. I'm going to think, yeah. One thing I say here. It is sinning willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, sinning willfully against the truth of which we've had convincing evidence. 
The sin mentioned here is a total and final apostasy. When men with a full and fixed will and resolution despise and reject Christ, the only Savior, despise and resist the Holy Spirit, the only Sanctifier, and despise and renounce the gospel, the only way of salvation and the words of eternal life. Paul would say these words in Galatians 2, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. The reason this becomes a big deal is because it, it keeps us away from vital connections to Christ and his body. Okay, there are warning signs he gives us here. We reject and deny Christ. We despise his message or the blood of his covenant. And we insult the spirit of grace. Now let me explain to you how I see this, this work. Usually I've watched this happen. It seems like it works in the opposite direction. Okay? What happens is I begin to insult uh, uh, the spirit of grace by this. I have done this, that, and the other thing. And I have prayed, and I have showed up every time the doors were open, and I was a part of a connection group, and I tithed regularly, and I did all this. And so therefore, because I have been such a good little boy, God owes me certain things. And then tragedy strikes. Difficulty comes And I've insulted the spirit of grace by me trying to live outwardly what God can only make happen for me inwardly. And I think God owes me. I, I am owed the new job. I am owed a life of comfort and ease. I am owed certain things. And, you know, doggone it, God, I have done the list. And because I have done this, that, and the other thing, man, I should, you should just give me whatever I want. Things should just happen good for me. And I, am, I have insulted the spirit of grace where God's mercy comes through, okay? All right? Then I despise the message. You know why I despise the message? Because I see somebody who's not quite living up to where I am. And all of a sudden, they pray one quick prayer in about eight seconds. And whatever they, they, they need or whatever they've asked God about, suddenly it materializes. And I've been praying not for eight seconds. I've been praying for eight years. And then, I, then the message of the gospel just flies in my face that God came to seek and save all that were lost. And he doesn't, he, he, our standing is in him and him alone, not in us. And all of a sudden I get mad. I despise those because you know what, God, I have done my part. And you have listened to me. I'm still dealing with this affliction. I'm still dealing with this problem. I still have this thing. And, and you just answered their prayer like it was no big deal. And I know last week they were gossiping. I know last week they got drunk. And I know last week this happened and that happened. And you answered their prayer. And then what happens if we let that, that, that root of bitterness ride long enough? We completely reject Christ altogether. We find ourselves outside the body. We find ourselves outside the thing. And so we've insulted the spirit of grace. We've, 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 we've disdained the message of the gospel. And then we say, you know what? I just don't need that. If God's not going to give me what I want when I want it because I did everything right, then I just don't care anymore. And then I get angry. I sit in my house and I watch TV preachers for a little while until what they're selling me doesn't work anymore either. For us, as, as, a, as a body of believers, we need to understand why we do what we do. We do what we do all the time for, for one reason. Because God loved us and his love grows on the inside of us. 
he, 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 we want to honor him by loving him above everything else. God is honored by a life that loves him above everything else. That's why we do. What do we do? You know what we do? We bring others into a mature love that honors him too. That's what we do as a body of Christ. And those are people who live next to us in these seats week in and week out. Those are people who are outside the realm of the kingdom at the moment. And God's put us in their lives with the intention of showing them what true love, true passion, true power, true truth, what it looks like lived out. And doggone it, we get to help them come to know him and grow in him. And so if we don't get those things right, and those are all you can look at the scriptures there. So what's the solution? Instead of looking for a list, look for fruit. Matthew 12, 33, it says a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever's in your heart determines what you say. Inside first. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Always and forever in the scripture, the idea of fruit has everything to do with character and internal qualities that make a showing on the outside. An apple tree can't help but be an apple tree. You know why it is? Because it's it's in its DNA. A tree, a good tree, can't help but bear good fruit because it's good on the inside. Its DNA is right. Are you hearing me? And so God's looking for fruit. He's looking for you to, to, to look like the person of Christ as he walked on the planet. The last words there in Hebrews 10, 31 are this that I, that I read to you. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is if you've disdained his spirit, if you've despised his message of the cross, and you have despised the message of his son. It is absolutely that. Can I say something else? The exact opposite is true, is if I embrace the mercy of God and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, if I embrace the message of the gospel, if I embrace the person of Christ, there is absolutely things ahead for me that only God could create. There is the hope of heaven for me that where I will live in total peace and utter love and joy for all of eternity, not just for momentary lapses. There is the hope that, 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 that fear, when it tries to penetrate my life, God will give to me his perfect love that drives it away. There is this idea that when joy is lacking, God will impart to me not a happiness based on my circumstances, but a joy that's deep-seated and things can come and go and people at work can be absolutely aggravated and frustrated. But out of me comes joy because, not because everything's right, but because I'm right with him and it just comes out naturally. It's when life gets tough and it's... And there's no peace to be found by anybody around me. And I, depo- I allow the deposit of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, to be so in me that peace that passes understanding flows out of me. And you know what? People are like, what the world's wrong with him? And it, they get to taste and see that the Lord is good. That is not a thing that we get to do that is the thing they get to pull the fruit off of the tree of our lives and go god is good that's crazy that's why paul in that whole rigmarole with the religious crowd galatians 5 ends up at galatians 5 22 and he says listen man 
Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, goodness, and kindness. Listen, those are the things, man. Against such, there is no law. If you live like that, you don't have to worry about it. If you, don't, you don't have to worry about it. And so he, 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 he that's what I understand something. Grace, understand grace. God's grace is absolutely unmerited. There's nothing any of us can do to be more right with God than to embrace the grace of God. Nothing. Understand this. There is no get out of jail free card. And what I mean is, suffering for Christ is an opportunity for joy. Life deals things with us, and it deals with us whether we've done this, that, and the other thing and proven our own merit or not. And so we have to be ready to, 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 to walk in joy in the midst of suffering. And here's the deal. He will move right from this, from verses, uh, verse 31 to verse 32. And he will remind these believers of all they suffered for being a, a Christian, for being a follower of Christ. There's been several verses talking about all that being a follower of Christ cost them. And he'll encourage them not to let go in the midst of suffering. Don't despise the true message of the cross. We don't measure up. We will never measure up. But he did for us. And he invites us to join him in a journey of grace that progressively walks us from selfishness towards Christ-centeredness and otherishness. He asks us to join him in a journey. That's the true message of the cross. That's what he kept telling the disciples, come follow me, right? The just shall live by faith, right? Walk it out. God encourages us to, to find deeper places of walking into a deeper interaction with his body. And you know what we have to do? We have to simplify to make space for that. We have to. So what's the real point of all of that? Understanding grace, understanding God, don't despise much across and find deeper can I, can, I, can, I, can I say this to you? Embrace God for all that he is. He is a God of love. He is. But he's also the God who says, if you choose differently than what I have set for you, there are certain consequences that you will have to contend with. He's not going to be that, that dad who says, that you will say, I wish they'd just do something with their kid. You ever said that? How many of you ever said that? And sometimes that kid is the, is the know-it-all kid who thinks they know everything. And sometimes that know-it-all kid is just a kid who's just always in the mischief and trouble. God will help us to, to walk in, 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 in humility and grace. And here's the deal. If you found yourself on either side of the equation, you've been in the willy-nilly side of it, you've just kind of gone and floated, never really worried about what you did or how you lived, time to, time to fix that. If you're on the other side of the equation where, you know, you can't, you can't handle it when people don't get it just right. You're trying and you don't know what else to do. And you need to come back over from this side and jump back over here and say, Jesus, it's about grace. And it's really about grace. God, I pray they don't want just, to just measure up on the outside. God, I pray they'll let you work on the inside. And you want me to be that person who, who comes alongside of them. And you can't do that and, and point a finger and, 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 and get harsh with somebody you don't know. You've got to get down and dirty with them and get right there and go, you know what? God can do better in your life if you'll just let him. And I want to help you. 
That's why, that dear, that's why he starts with that dear friends thing. You see, a person who's really religious just points a finger and says, they're missing it, doggone, they got it wrong, and I just, they're going to fix it. A person who's Christ-like recognizes from Philippians 2 that we should let this mind be in in us that was in Christ Jesus, who considered his godliness or his holiness not something he should just absolutely hang on to, but that he should risk it and come down close to people who were dirty and scummy and nasty and get close and get right together and go, I'm going to help you get up out of this thing. And pulls them up. Nancy doesn't want to be in. She'll speak if I ask her to, but she really don't want to be in front of people she don't have to be. And that's what, that's what being Christ-like is. It's abolishing an, an outward code and asking people to live by the heart. And it's abolishing a de- depraved, depressed, messed up culture and saying, listen, you're missing the mark, but I love you. Come up, and, come up here close to me. And so some of you don't know where you are. You know where you are on that, on that spectrum. And if you're missing the mark, either through sheer religion or through sheer will, sheer will my mouth is really dry. Sheer willy-nilliness. Bring it back up to the center and find the mark and run towards it. By the grace and by the power of God. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org.